the Anfield Wrap have been partnering with Access Sport uh, across the last few months. Uh, and Access Sport are providing uh, 20 national programmes across the country that offer students aged 16 to 19 a full-time further education within professional football and sport industry environments. It's a range of level two and three uh, BTEC qualifications uh, to suit different academic abilities. Access Sport provides students with the opportunity to use their passion to prepare them holistically for a future career in sport, whether that be on or off the pitch. Uh, where the course is the focus and the career is the goal, Access Sport links to qualifications with industry pathways in sports science, coaching, sports media, esports, and public service. The Anfield Rap looking to do some work with Access Sport around its sports media offering as well. Uh, it's developing students with a wide range of skills, industry experiences, and professional development, ready for progression onto university, US scholarships, apprenticeships, and successful careers with many exciting roles in sport. If this is someone you or a young person that you may well know could be interested in, please go to accesssport.ac.uk forward slash TAW to get further information. That's accesssport.ac.uk forward slash TAW to get more information. Do check it all out. It is the Friday show and it is out for free this week. Uh, it's replacing Tour Live because Liverpool haven't got a game. So we thought we'd pop it out uh, and let people listen to our fantastic callers who we've got coming up, which is Natalie Bromley, Anna Wilson and Jack Collins talking about Burnley, Sheffield United and Fulham respectively, all with big FA Cup weekends. Here in front of me, I've got Paul Tahaney, Luke Davis from the 10th Pint Podcast and Joel Richards. They're all present as well. So if you like the Friday show in general and you think it's a bit frustrating, this sits behind a paywall, I'd like to share it with my friends. It's all... Uh, all Premier League covering and so on and so forth this is an opportunity for you to do so uh, this week's one and we may have a little look about doing more of this sort of thing in the future so do let us know how it goes and do give us any feedback uh, let's do it then let's not mess about Nottingham Forest against Newcastle and Joel Richards Nottingham Forest look suddenly very vulnerable indeed they certainly look very vulnerable and me and Luke were having a discussion off, off air about it um, I think the home form has really kept Forest in contention to, to survive and at the, as we speak They've been unbeaten at home since September, I think it is. I think that might be nine home games unbeaten. And we were talking about the Forest-Everton game, weren't we? Yeah. Where I felt that was sort of a pivotal moment for Forest because had Forest won that game, they would have had a lot more breathing space yeah. than what they've got now. Because since then, they've lost to Tottenham. Hi, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> um, and before that, they got battered at West Ham. But it wasn't just the fact that they got beat at West Ham because like, you can't, you can't like, with the, way, the away form they've got, it was how they got beat yeah. and he capitulated against them. I didn't, I'll be honest, I didn't see the game against Tottenham, but looking at the scoreline alone is enough to suggest that they were sort of... And the way the game went, you know, really. so the, the, they got three, the, you know, Tottenham were three nil up in the game, yeah. you know, the way the game, it's not just the scoreline, it's how the match develops, Joel. And and it's, and, and the, the crucial thing now for Forrest is they've got to maintain that unbeaten run by, by Hull Horcrook and Newcastle could have been, was a lot more ideal before Newcastle won on Sunday, but even looking at it, you know, home form or not, Forrest struggles to score goals. That's been their problem all season. You know, for Wolf on that, their away form in isolation, it's just one win. And I think I think it's only three goals they've scored away from home all season. But even even at home, they've been getting the odd up 1-0, 2-1. You know, they've only won 2-0, I think, once, maybe twice. I remember they beat Leicester 2-0 in January. So everything for them is they've got to get the maximum amount of points that they can at home. And from tomorrow, they've got Newcastle at home to come. They've got United, they've still got to go to the City Grants. Um, I'm trying to think who else they've got. 
they've got uh, they've got Arsenal uh, to go there as well. The Wolves have got to go to the City Ground, and Southampton have got to go to the City Ground. So, um, so that's you know, there's at least two who were down there and around them. But it makes you think they've got Brighton as well. Yeah. So it makes you think that they've got to, they're going to have to find a way against one of Arsenal, uh, Man United, Newcastle, or Brighton to get at least something out of out of a couple of those games or a win against one of them. Yeah, I mean, a couple of draws out of out of those fixtures. Is, is okay for them but it's only okay if they can somehow get a win away from home as well in that time and that to me I can't I'll be honest with you I can't see them getting anything away on the roads between now and the end of the season most definitely at Anfield which I hope which I hope goes into a 5-0 hammer and a la 1988 but you know it's and, and they need they need other players to step up to the plate for them because you know you've got near the end of the year that you know Brennan Johnson and Morgan Gibbs White are everything for them, and I, and I agree with that because apart from those two players, I don't see who steps up for them or who, who who's another option for them if if those two aren't creating chances for them. It's Luke. This one coming up against Newcastle. Newcastle, it felt like they needed Isaac to come to the party last time out uh, there against. Um, against Wolves they got themselves the two goals Almiron uh, was rested comes off the bench yeah. nets for them which I think is massive and significant not least because he's been such a good willing player all the way through the season he's been really impressive Almiron this is a Newcastle side that could that could do really do with getting uh, the three points out of the, the game against Nottingham Forest to keep the keep the ambitions alive at the top of the table as I say I think if that happens I think Isaac will be crucial to it yeah, certainly on the back of the win against Wolves, he looked a lot better in Newcastle than they have done in um, the previous five games. He failed to pick up a win. But um, from a Newcastle perspective, I think they'd their season now, it's sort of run its course in a way. where They had that great start, obviously the cup final being the big ones. And for the players, how motivated are they now? It, it seems like they peaked sort of at the wrong time. It would have been the correct time if they would have won the final. But... You've seen the results have started to drop off certain players. Um, like I think Gamares hasn't been as good as he was. And I just think, yeah, I think it's a result that possibly Forrest, Forrest can look at as a game for them to win. It's a real opportunity for their battle against the drop earlier. Yeah. The the Newcastle point, though, Paul, all the way through the season is away from home against the sides down there. And even by down there, you know, we can, we can expand it out. Fulham are not down there, but they went to Fulham, they won 4-1. They drew 0-0 with Palace. They drew 1-1 with Wolves. Uh, away from home, they beat Leicester three 0 They beat Southampton four one. They drew one one with Bournemouth. They've been really, really good at being robust Newcastle and staying in games when they need to, and taking the opportunity to cut loose when it's there. And that's why they're not they're not ideal of anyone really at the top. I mean, I know Forest have already beaten Liverpool at the City Ground this season, but if anyone really at the top sort of six or seven at the minute. I think you can you can look at a game against against Newcastle and you can think you know there's a fair chance we can keep them out there's a fair chance we can keep them at bay but actually breaking them down is really really tough this season. It is, but you know I think in the last few weeks they have been a little bit more fallible. Even you know reliable players such as Botman and Trippier have, have not been their normal selves. Nick yeah. Pope was lucky again at the weekend not to get sent off. You know so. There hasn't been that level of consistency from their top performers, and I think that's filtered down. Um, you know, and the team just doesn't look as fluid. But I've seen that. I think I mentioned on the last show that winning or losing that League Cup final because it's so early in the season can have such weird psychological effects on you. You know, sometimes I've, I remember us winning it when we did use the win trophies back in the day, and <laughs> invariably we wouldn't get win a game for the rest of the yeah. season. But and also the, the opposite where you've lost and. You can't get out of that. Your confidence goes, you know. So it'd be interesting to see if they're going to make a recovery. Um, you kind of think it's going to have to be now if they want to, if they're serious about making the top four. Yeah. 
if that's their intentions. You know, at the beginning of the season, I'm sure that top four wouldn't have really been on their agenda and it would be more of a like of maybe it's a little bit too early because I think I, saw, I remember when Man City kind of started off on their journey, we pipped them to the top four one year. and um, that, Yeah, 2007. Yeah, yeah. And, and it was almost like they, we'd done them a favour because they weren't really ready yet. They still had the kind of Bellamy's yeah. and these sort of players that were bringing them on the come up, but they weren't quite ready for it. And I think that I kind of get that feeling with Newcastle, it might be a little bit too early for them this season. And are they actually thinking mentally, we want to finish in the Champions League or are, would they be happy for Europe? I think that's a good point by Paul there because I think there is that feel with Newcastle. And, and what, what I was also going to mention is the fact that up until recently, they've pretty much named the same start at 11 every week. You could you could nail on who was going to start for them. You said and you had a real sense of 10 of the 11 would be every single game yeah, at the very yeah, least. Pretty yeah. much. And, and the one the one, the one one debate was around Wilson or Isak. And then since then, obviously they've had a couple of suspensions, a couple of injuries, and, and as Paul mentioned, players look not looking at the best. And maybe that, having, having chosen from such a small pool of players, that eventually that's going to hit a point where they are going to tail off a little bit and I think with Newcastle now I think well they're obviously still in contention for the top four but I think with them now it's maybe a case of while there's still a target to go for go for it but ultimately I think they may be more relaxed than say Tottenham or Liverpool are in the sense of well if we don't get top four it's not expected if we get it we're about two maybe three years ahead of schedule even I, I don't know what what their primary what their objectives were with regards to reaching the Champions League when the when the when the takeover happens last uh, eighteen months ago so for them between now and the end of the season it's a bit of a I think they can sort of relax into this and fixtures like tomorrow night if they want European football then they've got to win but if they're sort of well everything's a bonus from here on in then sort of, we can just take it as it comes and what will be, will be. Uh, interesting, there'll be no Brennan Johnson, there'll be no Chris Wood. Uh, Brennan Johnson's got a slight chance, uh, Cooper's saying, but I wonder whether or not they won't want to take the risk uh, for that one. Uh, Isaac expected to come back again for Newcastle and play again. I think he looks a really, really uh, good footballer whenever I see him. Uh, be a good game on Friday night. Uh, be, a, be a hard-fought game on Friday night. I'll, I'll, I'll actually uh, I'll downgrade from good. Uh, it'll be a hard-fought game on, on, on Friday night and good might break out in amongst it. The six-pointer on Saturday, three o'clock kickoff. Wolves versus Leeds. Luke is, I'm sure it's one that um, Everton uh, eyes will be on as well. Um, both teams need, need a win. Wolves, to me, have felt since Lopetegui came in, which which is, you know, from Boxing Day onwards, Wolves have felt to me the likeliest of those who've been in it to pull away. Uh, and they were coming from the furthest back, you know, they, yeah. were, they, were, they were bottom. They've ended up getting to where they are now, which, you know, is sitting on 27. But they actually haven't. And that's the, the, this is, yeah. the, the for me... There'd be a bit of me, if I was a Wolves supporter, thinking, oh, we've had a few chances here to do a bit better and it's not quite come for them and and they are ultimately still in it at this stage. Yeah, you say they haven't pulled away, but obviously they come from the lowest point. So, under Lopetegui, they, they have made a lot of progress. I've seen them a lot, a lot earlier at Goodison. And they lack end product, but they create chances. They have a lot of nice, gifted players, but then not really, as I said, with the, with the end product of scoring goals. But I think, obviously, at home as well, Seeing Leeds at Goodison, they, they were poor. They were probably the worst team seen at Goodison this season. That was a poor game overall, obviously decided by Seamus Coleman. But I think if you're Wolves, it's really a game you've got to take three points from. And I think Leeds, they're, they're also in awful form as well. And they can't really buy a win at the moment. And so I think they're going to have to try and get a point from that game. But I can't see it happening. I can just see a Wolves win here. 
The, the Wolves aspect of this one, Paul, is that if they do win, they hit 30 with 10 games to go, which you'd feel with everything that's going on around them. It would also mean that ultimately they would be... Um, no, one, no, none of the nine who are in it could get above them. If you see what I mean, the lead in that pack at the very least, and they'd find themselves only five points behind Aston Villa. Uh, obviously, Villa have got other results in there as well that can that can impact. The the key thing with Wolves, they play good stuff. You get to see them play good stuff. The 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 relatively good in the the first uh, effectively 60, 70 yards of a football pitch. It's the last thirty yards of a football pitch where they, they they've been struggling over the campaign. Well, we played them a couple of weeks ago. Um... And just like, in fact, the first game we played, and they played us off the park in the first half. Uh, I don't know how they weren't in front, and then we end up winning the game 1 0, I think. But it was like the, the opposite when we played them a couple of weeks ago, where we should have been two or three up, you know, hit the bar, hit the post, had numerous chances. And then he, Lopetegui, to his credit, made some, um, I think he went three at the back, made a little change, changed the game, and then they were all over us, won it 1 0. And of that, uh, all those bottom clubs where there's, I think it's 12th to 20th, where there's five-point yeah. difference, yeah. I would say they would be the 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 least of my worries be just because it's the quality that they have. I know they don't um, score a lot of goals, and that's always been my criticism of them, but I think that, you know, in terms of number 10s, like, I, I would, you know, they probably got about nine compared to Tottenham's none. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So they've got they've got the flair and they've got the skill. It's not quite dropping for them yet in terms of in front of goal. But as I said, although they're not one hundred percent out of it, I would I would put them as the the outsiders of that bottom group just because of the sheer quality they they have and. They, they don't concede that many goals either. The table doesn't lie, uh, Joel. There's something people say about football that are incorrect. The table lies all the time. One of the things that's really interesting about the table coming into this one is there's a four-point difference between the two sides. Leeds have got a game in hand. Leeds' goal difference is markedly better than Wolves. As Leeds are only on minus 11 for goal difference. Wolves sit on minus 17. You'd have thought, you know, I've just talked Wolves up because we think they've got good defenders. We like them, got good plays, look after the ball. Wolves have conceded 37. Leeds have only conceded 42 wow. in comparison over the course of the campaign. And yet you do have the feeling, as Luke sort of said before, that and and this can sound like it's very uh, the day the Manchester United David Moyes tweet of Manchester United needs to improve in a number of areas, including passing, goal scoring, etc., <laughs> dribbling, etc. Um, I, I feel like Leeds need to get better at winning football matches. That that's their main problem, and yeah. that that can sound unbelievably reductive. But all through the season, under Jesse Marsh as well, it felt like there was hard luck story after hard luck story. We did this for forty five. We played well here in the second half. We did this, but ultimately they have won literally the fewest games in the division. And it's literally you look at those defeats. Whereas last last year and the season before under Bielsa there was games where they were getting battered 6-0 7-0 they were in these games where they were conceding 4-5 or plenty whereas this season apart, there was a Tottenham 4-3 in there but again by one goal because yep. they scored three goals um, there was a home game against Fulham they lost 3-2 they got beaten and and it goes on and on and on 1-0 one, one here 2-1 there 2-0 you know they, they haven't really been battered like they have in previous seasons so for Leeds their problem has been the fact that Bamford's been in and out of the team all season, which, you know, Everton have had a similar problem with Calvert-Lewin. Yeah. So when, you're not, when your main number nine's out, out of the team quite often, that's your main supply of goals isn't going to come in. The players that have come in in his place, all right, Rodrigo did a bit at the start of the season. Yeah, he's, got few, fire, he's got a few yeah. goals, he scored at Anfield. Um, he's now... He's, Who hasn't, Joel? Uh, well, well, no, no, well, one of the few wins that he managed to pick up this season was at Anfield. Yeah. And it was funny... 
out so they had their two wins back to back against those and then Bournemouth and you thought they might just get a bit of momentum now, but then they ran into Tottenham before the World Cup and, and that aforementioned game and they lost. Ever since then, I think it's um, apart from McGrath, the win on his debut against Southampton, so that's three wins in about maybe 20, 21 games. Yeah. If not if not if not just a bit more. So so for Leeds, they've now in a situation where they've obviously got like blatantly obvious they've got to score more goals, but the it's 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 the fixtures that they've got coming up. So like this Wolves one. They've just got to shade that. I remember last season. I think they nicked Leeds Nicky at Molyneux, if, I'm, if I remember rightly. And, um, the, and then coming up on the horizon after that, and this is interesting. They've got to go to Arsenal, but then they've got a home against Forest and a home against Palace back to back in there as well. Later on, they've still got a home coming up against Leicester. They've got a trip to Bournemouth. Uh, you know, they've got a lot of the sides who are around them uh, in April, and that's where they're going to have to be in very, very good nick. Not losing this, I think at least at least keeps them within touching distance of pulling a Wolves back in or something like that. This yeah, point. because because it also if they get a, if they get a result on Saturday, it keeps Wolves in, and as you say, and it also it's just dragging other teams in. So if you're getting results around the team in the team against the teams around you, you're dragging them all back in just when you think that they might be safe. So say you might go to Palace. Palace might look let's say for argument's sake, Palace might look like they, they, if they get in a bit of form, they might be fine. But then they get dragged back in just because of one defeat. Same with Wolves. Same with um, with with. Oh, Trying to think of other teams. Well, Forest, we said before. Well, Forest, yeah, exactly. So, so, so for Leeds now, that's they've got to win these games, and if they don't win these games, they're they're going to be stuck down there for the rest of the season. The number of options, uh, Rodrigo coming back, comes on for Bamford last time out against Brighton. Uh, McKinney comes on for Rocker. Gnotto uh, comes on for Somerville. Um, this is attack and talent, this, Luke, in a couple of areas. You know, uh, Sinistera comes on for Jack Harrison very late in the game. Uh, but yeah, I've not mentioned Brendan Aronson in there as well. Somerville I've just mentioned before. But there's a number of, they've got a number of good attackers yeah. leads. They just don't seem to have quite settled into a pattern all the way through the season. Apart from arguably a bit of a run under Jesse Marsh where they had hard lines. But... You can't keep having hard lines, like we've said. You're right, they do have a number of attackers, but if you look at, I don't know the average age of them, they're quite young, mm. and whether you need, in a relegation battle, experience to win them games, them them small margins in them games. I think teams like Everton have a lot more experience, just to go back to us again, but if you look at, like, Notto, their players, the young players, and do the Everton on them big occasions, if you get into the, the final 3-2-1 games of the season, will I have it then? Will I be able to pull it out the bag? Because I can't see anyone in that team Going thinking like I'm the man, I'm gonna win this game. It's only Bamford, but he can't he can't get ninety out of him. <laughs> and, no, that, yeah. and that's a problem. Yeah. And they've got to keep managing him, keep looking after him. Um all right, draw be interesting in that one, but it is most definitely a six pointer Southampton versus Tottenham Paul. Um before we get stuck into Southampton, very disappointing against Brentford when it felt like they got themselves a little bit of momentum. You were last on and you were effectively saying it was you're just not enjoying the concept of Tottenham Hotspur Football Club in any meaningful way at the minute. Been a couple of results since then um, from Tottenham Hotspur Football Club, uh, but it's also ended the idea of European football for another season. It's, I think it's it's a season that's not far away from sort of getting a bit of crisis in a Tottenham and not in a just in a sort of a, a crisis of purpose. I, I think there's every chance there's a lot of Spurs supporters by the end of this one going, well, sort of, what's the point? And you were beginning to say that last time. I was, and normally I'm the most positive, or, uh, you know, I try to look at things as half full um, instead of half, half empty, but it's kind of hard now. It's getting to that stage where, you know, we're out of Europe. Um, I said before, we had no real hope of winning it anyway. It was a typical, uninspiring, turgid performance. 
that we've sort of come to be associated with under the likes of Mourinho, Nuno and, and now Conte, which is bizarre because that's never been Tottenham's modus operandi. It's all about really, you know, almost like dying on your sword and playing attacking football and not winning anything. Yeah. And, you know, I'd rather be in that position than, you know, because people are shelling out money to watch shit football and to lose as well. So you might as well have been the way we were, which was almost yeah. winning stuff. Do you think this is a... I want to talk to you about this, because, mm. you know, the motto is to dare is to do. Yeah. That's the Tottenham motto. And I do wonder at times on the notion of the way a football club sees itself. You know, you can... Uh, DNA is now the phrase that get, gets used. Mm. And I'm quite I'm quite intrigued by what happens when, when you go against that even when there is sort of bits and pieces of success around it for instance qualifying for the Champions League is, is a degree of success I think that's where when you're going against if you go against that and you do it hugely successfully so Mourinho early on in his Chelsea days is the first time round Mourinho changes Chelsea's DNA forever mm. like he, the, 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 the sort of always a bit Jose Mourinho's Chelsea forever mm. from this point onwards uh, along with Abramovich in there as well that he does that and that'll take, but that was a massive change. That wasn't what Chelsea were. They were the club of Rude Hullet, Glenn Hoddle. That's what they would be moving towards. They'd always had, a bit, they were a bit of a yo yo club. They always had this idea they were a bit entertainery. But he changed it and he changed it because he won the trophies. Massive success. Mm. The Tottenham thing is these managers who need to change to dare is to do haven't had massive success. And I wonder if that makes it harder, that you're effectively button heads against the essence of the football club. Do you think well, that's fair? Kind of, but I do think that in the first knockings of Mourinho and Conte the fans were willing to go along with it as long as you know it, it was almost like a, a sort of laughing thing between us so you know we're playing shit but we're winning ha 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 who cares but I think that as time goes on you look at the bigger picture and you look at you know is there a clear pattern of you know I don't know, Daniel, nobody looks at this, but if you go back to that Tottenham documentary on Amazon when he sacked Pochettino and he basically said, you know, I'm going to live or die by this decision. And nobody really calls him back on that, you know, and he's had three sort of appointments since then that have actually not moved us. In fact, if anything, we've gone backwards in that time. I, th I think that Nuno appointment was the most bizarre one because even in that summer, you were trying to get Pochettino back, weren't you? Because he was... He was, at, he, was, he was at PSG, there was a little bit of rumblings that he weren't going to last day long and you were doing everything you can to bring him back. And then, was there another contender in the frame that, that sort of... I yeah, mean, well, Conte, um, was in, Conte was in discussions even then, were anybody... Yeah, he, 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 I think yeah, it was almost like a, a, a temporary appointment that, you know, there was I, never any intention to, to be long-term. It's, like, it's, it's mad, you, if, you know, you're a point, you're a point new, you know, and... Obviously, it's all like, you know, he signs this contract and whatever else. But if, if it was always going to be temporary, then surely, you know, Ryan Mason ended the previous season as temporary manager. If you weren't 100% sure on this on this, on this this fella who, who ended up becoming manager, then you, and, and you're still waiting for the one who eventually becomes manager. I know it's not a good look to go into I kind of think that Conte, manager, but... Conte was, came along and it was a situation that Daniel Levy was like, oh, this is too good to turn down. Yeah. You know, we might not get this opportunity to get Conte and this could take us to the next level. I think that his intentions were, were, were great, but I just don't think we are matched as a club and a manager. I think that, yeah. I said it before on this show, we need a manager to work within Levy's parameters, which mm. are developing young players, getting players that you already have, making them better, improving them, um, working with a reasonable transfer budget, but not, astronomical, those parameters don't fit the DNA of Mourinho or 
Conte or, or yeah. always yeah. work with ready-made players. I've How always many world-class well, managers want to work under the sort of a smaller budget now than when you could go elsewhere? Well, this is what I'm going to come to now is like Pochettino was that perfect person. I sort of talked about this before, most successful manager in my time watching football statistically. So I would have no problems with having him back. I thought he was unfairly done by. But if you want to take that romantic bit out of the notion and look further than that, there's people that fit that profile, the likes of Thomas Frank, Deserby. I even like, you know, um, my man at Atalanta. I know he's getting on a bit, Gasparini. You know, these sort of players, these managers that are have the tactical nous to, to change things. At the moment, Conte plays one way, and if it doesn't work, that's it. And the thing it? with Conte, he's a constant tinderbox waiting to go off, isn't he? Because yeah. you even look at, you know, only three, barely three months into the job, you're at, you're at a week where you lost a bit. You, you beat Man City away, but then you lost a bit, and then he gives that. Almost like he was going to leave. Basically saying that he's going to leave. Yeah. You know that. You know already. I've had enough of this. Yeah. Kind of thing. Trying to find his way out. But what struck me with Tottenham last season, especially in the running. There were times where you were winning games like 4 0 a fill it away. I remember Son getting a hat trick there. There was Leeds, you battered 4 0 as well. And then there was a couple of oh, there was a game at home, I think you beat Newcastle 5 1, something like that. And there was there was results, particularly the draw at Anfield, where you can see something in this. All right, it's not pretty at times, but there was something that was functional and effective where you got top four. And again, it's like, can you kick on? Now, your first 10 games this season, am I right in saying? I think it was something like I don't know. I think from memory, it was like something about maybe twenty. You, you picked. You had a good start. You got about twenty-three points, Ooh. something like that. You were handily, handily yeah. placed in the table, but then you hit October and you fell off. Mm. You lost the North London derby. You lost to Newcastle at home. Liverpool came and, and won, and and there was a couple. Of, there was a spell where you lost about three or four at home, didn't you? Out of yeah. out of five or six. So ever since then, the Conte project has just quickly gone off the rails quicker than it got. On track, if you know what I mean. Yeah, uh, I forgot the point I was going to make then. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. but, but basically, the the the, um, the crux of it is, it's, I don't, I can't see Conte being there next next season. I think motions are really be, been put in place yeah. for yeah. us to uh, to get a new manager, and uh, you know, it's just the way it's going to go. But it's gonna, but it needs to be a Spurs manager. And I know it sounds, we all, like, every team has a DNA no, no. and yeah. sort of, you know, I see Everton fans kicked off when they had Sam Halladice, you know yeah. what I mean? Maybe yeah. it was a similar, similar kind of situation. Yeah. And, and if you want to live by your to dare is to do, you want a manager who, who literally dares and that's what and occasionally does. Gave. Yeah, and occasionally <laughs> does. Words, though. No. I, I've, I don't know because like, you know, like yourselves with Everton, nothing but the best is good yeah. enough. Yeah. And, you know, I think, I think for clubs, Blue ribbon clubs such as Tottenham, Everton, Liverpool, and even Arsenal. Oh, sorry, Paul, but you know, yeah. victory few harm. You know, all these Latin mottos that they've held for over 130 years. Let's say, you for, from from a Tottenham case in point, Darren. So Pochettino, he did. He got them to the Champions League final. He got them in two title races. Yeah. Got them to another cup final as well, League Cup. He over those. Over those five years in charge, he did. I, I think if you fit the club and you fit what the club wants, then I think you get more of a pass during the during the hard times. But and I think and I think, yeah. and I think that's that's a big deal. And also everyone sticks together during the hard times a bit more, and everyone feels a bit like you know we're, 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 we are all sort of as. Do one you know the this. crucial thing for me with Pochettino? And I've read his autobiography, and you might just say I'm a fanboy, but it was the crucial thing about making sure that what a player needed to do to play for Tottenham Hotspur. He always used to say, look, 
I've bought you so that you've earned the right to train for Tottenham Hotspur. So he made it important and made the shirt important and made it almost like you should be proud to play for this club because he loves that the club. So you get a kind of a different dynamic, you know, when someone has that overseeing. Conte's never going to love Tottenham. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's he's, he's yeah. just not his club, is it? You and he's already alienated. Where Pochettino, you know, enables players like Harry Winks and obviously you know, Kane was there, Kane was ready made, but other local players in and around that club, he embellished them. So, and Deli Ali as well, he got the best out of them. Conte went the other way, has mm. discarded the likes of Winks. Mm. All right, Oliver Skips had a goal. Well, he got rid of. We've got, got no. We've got no creative midfielder. He got rid of Ndombele. He got yeah. rid of Lacelso and Deli Ali, and they were the three. You know, Deli Ali, obviously, that's a different story. But the other two, you know, Potch, I'm sure, could have got a tune out of one of them. One point I wanted to make is Conte might throw at us. Well, I hang on. You're saying we're negative with this or that. Third top scorers in the Premier League this yep. season. Yeah. Mm. Liverpool have hit a nine and a seven in two games this season. We've still scored more than Liverpool, which is bizarre. I would yeah, never yeah. Have, have thought that because, you know, if you listen, if you talk to any football, uh, not just Arsenal fans, but any Premier League football teams, we'll be right down in probably the bottom four or five of teams mm. that you wouldn't want to watch at the moment because it's just not a good watch, is it? It's, no, you know, no. for anybody. Um, so, yeah, I have to, I but have that's, to say... Isn't that a massive part of that is also having Kane? Yeah. What a player. I mean, you know... It helps. It, it just helps so much. I mean, this guy just produces... You know, week in, week out, and even when he doesn't produce, I can I can allow it because he's he's done so much for yeah. us. You know, um, Richarlison of the manager's a laugh. Um, isn't it? Do you know what I heard that he's a his pronunciation in Brazilian football is Richelson. <laughs> oh, okay. Actually, Richelson. So Richelson. I think I start calling him Richel. Um, yeah, he turned up. Uh, it's funny what a little bit of a rocket and a little set to with Conte does between each other. They've they've wound each other up to get a performance out of Richarlison which is which oh, Richardson, um, which, which was really good uh, uh, Porro's is starting to impress me now I'm yeah. starting to come up with some positives here Tottenham fans if you're out there and then Oliver Skip's been immense um, really impressed I've always liked him as a player he's had a couple of years of hor- horrific injuries he's, he's finally starting to look like a, the Frankie de Jong clone that I think he is um, Southampton really disappointing against Brentford um, it'll be it would be a relatively difficult afternoon, Joel, for Tottenham. You do feel as though they'll have too much for Southampton at the minute. Uh, Southampton are capable of throwing one in uh, at the minute. You know, a couple of sides have, have seen that this this season. But I do sort of wonder if it is going to be Southampton who end up, who end up uh, going adrift at the bottom of the table. Yeah, I think that it's unfor- unfortunate it's looking that way for them. I would have said Bournemouth had it not been for us gifting them three points last week. But I think Southampton now look the most likely to be gone. And I think, I think even, you know... Early early January before the beat Everton was you were looking at them then as being cut adrift, but they get the odd win here and there, especially the Chelsea win. That sort of keeps them in touch for the time being. But you know, everything I read and heard about the performance last night against Brentford suggests that they are a team who look like they're destined for the drop and they haven't really got much about them. We you know, we talk about teams who are struggling to score goals, Southampton are one of them. And we also we've also talked about home form with regards to Forest. Southampton's home form's abysmal. Before, I think they've only won two at home all season, isn't it? They beat, one of them was Chelsea in August, and then who have they beat at home recently? Um, oh my God, escape me mad. But they've, they've, no, they've won at home. Leicester. Leicester, that was it. You know, and even in that, it's a 1-0. They're not scoring goals. but they, Apart from James Ward-Prowse, they're not creating anything. And they don't really... And, and they went on a little splurge in the transfer window in January. But the players who've come in haven't really offered anything yet. So... 
if they 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 seem we really need to start now because if they if if they lose again on Saturday, then they're going to get caught. Yeah, they're gonna, they're gonna, they could be the first side to find themselves a win away from being able to jump out of the the, the relegation zone for a while since Wolves are going all the way back. I think everyone else has always been able to get one win, and then it feels like God, the table looks very very different. Um, Everton, then we've got Luke. Um, everything. Uh, with Dice so far appears to be about home games is that fair and also are you fine with it current climate I think everything for a long time even going back to the days of Moyes has been about home games for Everton but obviously now um, we, do, we do still lack quality going forward I think that's the elephants in the room with that but home games are important obviously the fans play a massive part in that but away from home as well you've got to try and pick up points obviously a tough game this weekend don't get me wrong Chelsea aren't the Chelsea of old but they still are tenth in the league, mid-table team. Yeah, they've been on a better run lately, but even last year um, we got a point there with a weakened side with a, a Bramford goal. But I, I think obviously it's it's sort of a bonus game. Obviously, you look at Chelsea away, but also there is there is a way through. There is a way to get a point. Possibly, obviously, if we stay compact and stop them from scoring, stop their midfield from playing. Stay compact is what he does. Um, you know, he, he really does have his shape. Um, the the bit that is always missed is it's not compact because it sits deep. He pushes them up, gets them into a, the very least into a mid block, looks to compress a game, looks to get the ball forward, wants everyone to be playing looking forwards as much as humanly yeah. possible. While simultaneously, obviously, you know, there's there's, there's certain principles that he is going to stick to. You know, he's, he's talking about showing intent to win games today in the press conference, having a base to work on and go from there. But you know, I, it's interesting to me. You know, the Brentford win and not just the Brentford win. You know, the the Nottingham Forest performance I thought showed the importance of Decore and. McNeil to Corey's able to get this Everton side up the yeah. pitch in a way that I think has been really lacking Yeah, for what he lacks in skill and technique he's a tenacious player he, he has legs and he'll keep running for 90 minutes the same with Idrissa Gay wins the ball back and then Ona- I think Onana can do a lot more I think at the moment obviously you come with the price tag the, the reputation I think he can do a lot more but he's still only young when he's 21 he will grow into that role but Obviously, as I mentioned, it, it's going forward. I think um, Calvert-Lewin against her in the press conference, I think he's had a, um, a slight, not an injury, but a setback, so to speak, so he won't be in the squad against Chelsea. Then they have 16 days after that where they don't play. So, again, it, it's the scoring goals. That's the issue. I think he'll go with Gray again up front. But, but that is, I think that's the correct call. I think Mopay doesn't offer much, as does Sims. But Gray up front, he's traditionally not, he's not really a striker and... Obviously, against Chelsea's defence, it's going to be hard to score goals. Um, as part of this, in that the the Brentford win, yeah, one nil in seconds, um, such a quick early goal shows the the importance of he's he's gone with Tarkowski and Keane. Mm. That from that point, you know, Brentford the robust side. Um, we all know that they've, they've they've got cleverness in them as well. Uh, a lot of good touches uh, within Bueno and Tony, and yet Everton do keep the clean sheet. How important are Tarkowski and Keane for this side at the minute? I think I think that a partnership in general for any for any centre backs is very important to any team. But Tarkowski obviously seems the favourable one. I think at the start of the season, people were more sort of raving about Cody and his, the assets he brings in terms of leadership and experience. But obviously, he's dropped out the last few weeks. There's also been a change at left back with Michaelenko was ill, so Godfrey's played the last two games and he's looked he's aggressive. Our fans like a player like that, whereas Michaelenko seems a bit timid at, at times. But the same with Keane, he's a, he's a confidence player very much and when he makes a mistake, he quickly goes down the pan. But when he's playing well, he's solid and you're getting 7 out of 10 every week, which apart from the Arsenal game, which may be an exception, 
We can get we'll let him off with. Did they play together at Burnley or did they miss? Uh, yeah, I think they played together. They have one season, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah. they have one season. Um, Coleman's interesting. He's, got, he's getting a run of games, and it feels yeah. as though it feels as though that's helping. You know, I think that there is obviously a legs question around, and that's always mm. going to be there now, given his age and the fact that he, it, it, you know, he's a right back for God's sake. Yeah. But it feels like he's offering a, a level of stability to the side, and obviously the leadership that you, you come mm. to expect from him. He seems a lot more narky this season as well. You've seen with referees, he seems <laughs> celebrating tackles where we haven't really seen that in the past from him. So I think that's rubbing off on other players as well where he's he's actually acting like a leader now. I don't know if that's... They have more of a leadership group now. Obviously, Cody's only on loan, but we see he goes away with England because of them assets. He's, he's good around the group. The same with Tarkowski and I think Coleman as well has sort of... They've took that on board. You can really see there's... There's really a lot of fight in the team for what they lack in technique, what they lack in skill. This season, there's a lot more fight than possibly last season. There was more, you have players like Richarlison, Calvert-Lewin, where you think, yeah, they can win us a game, but this season, it's more on fight. And I think that rings through with the fans as well. Uh, one for everyone. How many points do we think 17th gets? Um, well, I've, well, I was just having a brief look at the points totals from the last couple of seasons, so I'll, I'll bore everyone briefly with, the, with them. Mm. Um, so last season, Leeds finished fourth bottom with 38 points, Everton were on 39, uh, Burnley went down with 35, I f- and, and then the season before that, 2021, um, well, it was, a bit, it was a bit of a gap, Fulham were on 28 and third bottom, and then Burnley were fourth bottom with 39. I think the way it's going at the moment, I think it could be potentially a big a bigger points total than that, because... I think I remember one year West Ham getting relegated. Forty-two, about forty-two yeah. points. Yeah, I think, I think it could be. I, I, I would not say it would be forty-two points, but I think ballpark estimate going off the last couple of seasons, they're probably going to need thirty-nine to forty points. The average since the league began in ninety-two was, I think, it's thirty-six point eight, so thirty-seven points in order to survive. So I think that forty figures a bit of a myth, really. Yeah, because like, I, I think forty is when you get to feel like you've done it. Yeah, if you yeah. See what 40, I mean. Forty is always, always the whole, no, mm. like the, the whole. The old fashioned marker, weren't it? The yeah. old fashioned marker got get to forty points. And, and, and like I'm looking at it now, and it's only when you look at it, it's 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 just bananas to think that you know it's Southampton, Leeds, Bournemouth, West Ham, fourth bottom, they're all you know, all all sides up. Leicester in there, Leicester is sixty. Like it's yeah. I mean, the you know, two that you worry about is is Leicester and Palace um, in terms of dropping like yeah. stones, yeah. particularly Palace at the moment. Um, but as I said on the last show, I really do think unless Spurs beat Southampton this week, which is not a guarantee, by the way. I know we're just writing off Southampton, yeah. but while you have got James Wall Prowse. In your team, you've always got a chance, and this is the Premier League. But if they do get cut adrift, uh, they're the only ones that I can see getting cut. I think it's going to go: someone wins, someone loses, someone wins. A bit like yeah. Everton's form at the moment, yeah. you know, it's like that kind of up and down um, all the way. And I could think it'd be a record it's, number of teams. At the I end think this season. is why your argument is that, for instance, Chelsea haven't got to think right. There's a bonus, at least a bonus point in yeah. this for us because. You know, to to get to forty from wherever now, there's eleven games left. They'd need to win five yeah. if they don't draw any. If you sort of see what I mean, so there's got to be a bit of hasn't there? You know, you you've got to have find find a way of of, for instance, getting a point here, getting a point there, yeah. and just keeping that head above water. Now Everton have got out; they're only one point ahead of Bournemouth who sit at eighteenth, but Everton have got out, yeah. and I think that's going to be so. A point this weekend means that Everton probably stay out because all yeah. the results can't go a certain way, and a few teams yeah. don't play. So I think that's the thing, isn't it? Now for Everton, it's just keeping that head above above the line. I think the, the panic sets in, especially with the fan base, when you do drop into that relegation zone. As long as we're above it, whether that be by a point, three points, we'll be fine. But I think 
Say if we're down in that relegation zone with two two games to go, I wouldn't fancy our chances. But I think since Dyke's come in, I think we picked up 10 points in the last eight. So I think we're on the same as Wolves in terms of form. Palace are bottom of that form table. So I think they'll slip through that trap door. Obviously, we don't know what's going on with Vieira as we're recording this. But I think we're in a good position if you look at it since Dyke's come in. So... I'm quietly confident that we'll stay up, but I wouldn't say we're definitely. Yeah, I think that you know, three wins in six yeah. is going to be so much better than five draws or yeah. you know, five draws and a defeat. You know, yeah. at this point in the season, it sounds cliche, but you know, winning games, even if it's one in three for one of the teams yeah. down there, I think it's going to be priceless. Is it because as well? You know, I'm I'm just looking there at how many games all those teams have won that bottom that bottom nine, as it were. Um, only well, Wolves and Leicester have, have won the most with seven and then there's Forest, Everton, West Ham, Bournemouth and Southampton all on six mm. and Norm- Leeds on five and Leeds on five yeah. so normally around by now there's a team who's only won four games or only f- like in, in a really bad season only won three times so the fact that they're all so bunched together th- this could genuinely play out like this we, we could get to, to the eight. yeah we could genuinely get to, the, to, to three games to go and there could still be easily six or seven teams who are, who, who are in it mm. Uh, all right then. Uh, anything at Chelsea a bonus for Everton? Uh, Natalie Bromley on Burnley's trip to Ma- Manchester City. Joined by Natalie Bromley, swanking around Turf Moor, <laughs> uh, having the time of her life. Burnley uh, only lost two games all season in the Championship. Have obviously not lost yet in the FA Cup either. Uh, and with Manchester City on the horizon, and Natalie, are we enjoying this? We are having the season of our lives and I do not want it to end. Um, It's really funny, actually, because the pain of relegation last season lasted about 10 minutes. Um, And we it's it's difficult because I think when we went down last season, there was a worry when you're a side like Burnley and you're Burnley fans that that was our only shot at the Premier League. That was our only chance to be in the top flight and that we'd been hanging around for eight seasons out of 11 just to try and, uh, you know, stay on as long as we could and that once that was done, we'd never get back again. Um, What we then realised very quickly, uh, and I've spoke about this with you guys a lot, was the need for a complete clear out to bring the last decade and the last regime to an end and to completely reinvent this club um, into something that can exist as both um, a founder member of the Football League and a strong community town club, but one that's appropriate for 2023 football and we have done that and this season has just been amazing. I'm genuinely not looking forward to next season, but right now, as you said at the beginning, we are swaggering around and we are enjoying it immensely. Why aren't you looking forward to next season? Because I can, I can see here, this is, you know, are, are you thinking this this type of football won't sustain? Are you thinking, you know, there's bits and pieces around, maybe there's a couple of lads in on loan, you might not be able to get them again. Why aren't you looking forward to next season? Uh, various reasons I, I don't uh, to be very clear I, it's not the the football that I'm not looking forward to I don't I don't think I think the the dice ball era um, will never return again I don't think I think we've gone past that point now um, so I think we will I think we will still play particularly as long as we keep hold of Vincent Company we'll still play that football and I think the new owners want to evolve away from what we had when we were just a club punching above our weight and trying to stay in the Premier League. I think now what we want to do is actually be in the Premier League by right and earn our, you know, be there because we are playing good football and, and the results are 
you know, going our way. What I'm not looking forward to about Premier League football is that irrespective of how you play and how well you do, unless you are one of the powerful six, it's always about trying to stay in the league. And your aim for the season is to be the fourth worst team in the league. And it's just a different mindset. Now, listen, I caveat that by the fact that I'm pretty sure Vincent Company will not have that mindset. He's a winner and he wants to, he wants us to. He's talking about another four-year journey and getting us as high as he can. But will that change when you're in the Premier League and you're losing more games than you're winning and you, you know, your chairman's giving you pressure because of the financial implications of relegation again? I don't know. I, I'm not looking forward to VAR. Um, I've said this openly and I stand by this. I had forgotten until I came down to the championship. Sorry, go on. No, I'm laughing. Go on. I had forgot. I had just, along with every Premier League fan, just accepted VAR that that's just what it was. It was crap. We hated it, but it is just what it is. Since coming back down to the championship and remembering what live football is like for a fan at a ground, I hate VAR even more than I did when it first came in. I had forgotten how incredible it is to score a goal, take a quick glance at the liner, see that the flag was down and celebrate a goal in the heat of the moment. VAR to me has changed the Premier League to be a technically perfect televised sport for a worldwide audience. The Premier League is not for the fan in the ground. It's not for the guys who turn up with a season ticket. It's not for the son, daughter with their dad, mum, granddad, grandma, who've been sat there with a glass of Bovril and a blanket watching at the ground. It's That's not what Premier League football anymore. And that's that's okay. That's that's the product that the Premier League has created and branded. Um, I just remembered from this championship EFL season how much I love football, how it used to be and what it's still like in the football pyramid. Um, looking at the over the course of the season and when you have been enjoying every last minute yeah. of it, the, what I'm intrigued by is, is the footballers who our listeners, for instance, will know versus the footballers that they, they you know, sure. should be paying attention to Burnley. May, they may not be aware of. So, for instance, Brownhill uh, has made the most yes. appearances for Burnley over he's the course of the season. Great, yeah. Such a, he was. I always thought he was a good player. Anyway, it's interesting yeah. how much has he flourished given this this new approach, this new style of play from Burnley. Massively so. Um, so yeah, but people who've not been following Burnley this season, we've only got five players left from the old regime. We sold 16 players in the summer and brought, sorry, we, no, we sold 11 players in the summer and brought 16 in, then another four. So we've bought 20 players this season. We've, we've had a complete clear out. The only players that our, your listeners will recognise from the Premier League years are Jay Rodriguez, Jack Cork, Josh Brownhill. Good Munson and Charlie Taylor, who all featured under Dash. Um, Josh Brownhill is one of those players where um, way too good for the championship, possibly not quite good enough for the Premier League. Whether that changes next year, I don't know. Uh, but he was always going to absolutely fly in the championship. Um, and this new forward approach has just given him a bit more freedom to play at the front of the central midfield. Um, he's got Josh Cullen and Jack Cork to back him up. Um, and he's just playing with a bit more freedom and he's really creating a lot more opportunities than he had under the last regime. Um, and he loves it. He gets it. He loves Burnley. So that has been one of my highlights of this season, seeing Josh Brownell flourish in this side, adapt his game and play with a massive smile on his face. 
when you say you th- you worry that you know he may be one of those players who's too good for the too good for the championship, not good enough yeah. for the not good enough for the Premier League. Do you think there's a couple of others who may fall into that category yes. as well? And it yeah. just almost is that is that one of your concerns going into next season, watching these lads who've absolutely flourished, for instance, suddenly find themselves just sticking in the mud a little bit more. Yeah, it's not a concern. Um, it is what it is, and the players who've played for us this season have absolutely earned their right to play in the Premier League, whether or not ultimately they will be strong enough to keep us in the division. It's kind of irrelevant. It doesn't matter. They've grafted this season and played really, really well to earn their right to have a shot at it. And if if ultimately the team's not quite there yet and it still needs more investment and we need to go up and down from the championship for a couple of seasons before we can improve and get better, then so be it. I don't think anybody would begrudge them that. Um, I think that some of the older players... Uh, whilst the, the experience really helps, I think they will probably see themselves replaced and become more squad players. Mm. Um, you know, those five that I mentioned, I think I don't think Charlie Taylor will, will be with us next season. Um, but, you know, that that experience really helps. And I'd like to see the four, the other four, like I said, I expect Charlie Taylor will go, but I think the other four will probably stay. They're doing the coaching badges and I think they will just help transition the new younger our team's very young very young I think our yeah. average age is now 23 when it was like 31 or something stupid in the Premier League last year um I, I, I'm kind of not worried about it I think it's fine I think so what you know let them <clears throat> let them go out there <clears throat> excuse me I'm choking let them go out there without uh, so this is what Premier League talks about Premier League does to me it makes <laughs> me start choking on my words um um, I just, I just think let them go out and play. I, I'm not worried about it. I just let them have the freedom so, to go and play. So Saturday's therefore really significant. The, 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 oh, what's got God. my eye about Saturday is is <laughs> not the idea of obviously Burnley. They're almost certainly going to going to lift silverware this season. I'd be really surprised if they don't at this point. Uh, definitely uh, promoted at this stage of proceedings. In that, I think the yes. one point's total. There's no way the side that that's currently in third place is going to reach. Uh, so you know they could pack up and go home if promotion was the only real goal at this stage. But they're yeah. not going to do that. Saturday no. to me seems like a really important sort of test. Is that fair? Yes. Where you'll get yes. to see something and see what can work. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, it's the dream fixture for the media, Pep and his apprentice. It's like as soon as as soon as it was the first ball out, by the way. Can I just have a it, quick moment about this? It was we, the first ball yeah, out. Yeah, we're not we weren't even home from the Fleetwood game we were all jumping up and down and celebrating Burnley's first quarterfinals of the FA Cup in 20 odd years and City home no 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 no. (laughs) Burnley or get in the bin like Burnley have drawn City four times in the last seasons in Cups like come on are you like can we have somebody else? Anyway, that's sad point. But as a, as a me- from the media's perspective, Pep versus company, it's the dream title, the one that everybody's looking at. Um, I'm really torn, um, and it's that age-old debate, isn't it? We've always played our second team up to now, um, which is why some of our games have been a little bit, you know, dragging them over the line. We, we had to go, you know, we, we made a bit of hard work against Ipswich and Fleetwood, but it's been our second string, our squad players who've got us through the Cups. Do you give them, do you reward them that opportunity and let them play away at City? Or do you recognise that the title and promotion is probably wrapped up and we could, very unlikely, but we could cause an upset and get to Wembley so you play your absolute strongest team, but also test that strongest team, the one that's likely to start in the Premier League, 
and see where we are. We had the same thing away at United in the Carling Cup, not Carling Cup, sorry, the League Cup earlier on in the season, same test, and we got, you know, hammered. Um, so I, I am expecting us to get beat, but I, I, I don't know what the answer is there. Um, I personally want him to play the first team because I want to see how well they do. Yeah. Um, but I also want us to try and give us the best possible chance of Wembley. Um, that said, I think we could probably play our best side and still get beat. So actually, is this a re- is City away actually anybody's test of where you are in the Premier League? Because everybody just gets beat does that make sense no it makes but, sense but, but, yeah. but I think I think the idea of I, I hope he does go with the strongest 11 as as, as uh, and in inverted commas neutral more just to sort of see and I think for those players uh, you know and also there's an international break to follow so it isn't like there's a tough game for, for, for Burnley on Wednesday or anything like that so I just sort of think, you know, if he goes with them just for those players to get to see and those players themselves see, not least because of the nature of the football, you know, I, th- I think that that's something which could uh, could give company and those players, you know, it, it's a good video to watch no matter what Correct. happens at the yeah, end of I it. And I, that's what I think. I think if, if they can, it, almost the, the prize is the video. Uh, almost certainly not going to win the that's game, but true. the prize is the video. And I think that that might be the plan. I think that's true. I think the only other thing from a from a fan perspective, and this is just an irrational fan thing, we've had the best season ever. People are touting us as being the greatest championship side that maybe has ever been, certainly in the last 10 to 15 years. Yeah. Everyone's talking about it. You look at the table, you look at what we're playing, and we're actually enjoying being the centre of attention for one and being the recipient of lots of plaudits for that. You know, Burnley aren't a fashionable side and we generally got the crap thrown out of in the Premier League as being like, can you guys not just roll over and get relegated already and get out of our lives? There's going to be a lot of people watching the FA Cup quarterfinals who have not seen us at all this season. And if we get absolutely hammered and turned over, there's a bit of sadness for me that a lot of the people have not seen us go, well, what's all the, you know, how crap's the, the championship if they're if that's the best that they can offer? And it's like, I thought I thought Burnley was supposed to be really good this season under company. They're, you know what I mean? It's, it's like it's an yeah. unfair judgment. Um, but, you know, it, you know, it's an FA Cup quarterfinal. It's a cup run. I've, I'm just excited no matter what happens. I'm going to go against my better judgment to the ground, um, which will be painful. But you never know what if we win and I've got to be there. Um, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Exactly that. You've got to be there. Uh, thank you very much to Natalie. She's been there all season, enjoying every minute of Burnley. Uh, let's enjoy Saturday night. The wonderful Natalie Bromley from No Name Never there on Burnley's trip to Manchester City. Uh, we move forward, Arsenal versus Crystal Palace. Um, Vieira could well be sacked at the time of recording, release or Sunday after uh, the defeat to Brighton. It's a shame that Paul, because you know he's obviously very much a football person. He's got a nice personality. I think he comes over really just quite nobly, to be honest with you. I like him a great deal. But this is such a tailspin now that you can understand. I think Palace have been trying not to have to take that sort of action. But it is a football club that is now absolutely spinning out of control. It's bizarre as well, because they looked like, probably at the beginning of the season, the up-and-coming, upwardly mobile yeah. team. Young players like Elise and Eze, you know... And you can see how much that they thought that it, from inside Crystal Palace because they're willing to let Wilf Saha go. He can go with their blessing on a free transfer. There wasn't any you know, moves to for a renewal, which showed that they have faith in what they've got there. And then to see them just completely collapse like this, it's just dried up. I think, didn't we beat them 4-0? Yeah. yeah. And they were actually a good run before, or decent 
Yeah, run. They beat Bournemouth um, just before you beat them 4 0. Yeah. And since then, that's when they formed Sucker Nose Dive. Yeah, so I'm really, really surprised. Um, I'd love to I'd love to see them give Vieira more time actually because I do think there is a manager in there and I, I don't think it, what he was doing before there's got to be a reason I don't know is there any key injuries that you can think of? Um, well or, Zaha's been missing yeah. for extended periods and I think there's a problem around the fact that they just don't it's not that he scores all the goals but they just don't like scoring many goals if Zaha's not on the pitch yeah. Yeah. He's a talisman isn't he? And, and that's been I think that's been a core problem for them And, and, I, and I also think as well is you know, watch, f- watching them at the start of the season when they came to Anfield, all right, as bad as Liverpool were on that night, I thought Palace played really well on the counter and on the break, and that's how they got their opening goal. And then even, you know, a couple of weeks later, they go to the Etihad and the 2-0 up, all right, they eventually lose 4-2. But the way they got to 2-0 up was really impressive. Mm-hmm. And for me, I've seen them in a lot of games this season where they look good at times, and they've, you know, they've, um, you know, the the way they set up, it's, it's, all right, it's not pretty on the eye on most occasions, but it's functional. And the, the way they set up with Elise, Eze, Ayu, and then it's either one through the middle, like a Mateta or an Eduard. Palace's problem is 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 right there up front. Eduard and Mateta just don't score enough goals. Missed some sitters yesterday as well, didn't they? They 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 missed a lot, a lot of opportunities in games like last night against Brighton, and then and then even when they get the odd goal, they don't back it up by going on a little run. It's yeah. it's as as we've already discussed that they rely on Zaha getting the crux yeah. of their goals. Like he's he's their top scorer in most seasons with like say 10, 11 goals on a good in a good in a good season, and then and then even like at the back, generally the the solids. You know, you you they they goalkeeper and back four are, are generally for the, for the, for the team at their level. Pretty Anderson's solid. a really good player. Anderson's a really. Yeah, I, I like the centre backs, Anderson and Gahey. Mitchell's got a bit of potential of ultimate left back. Right back's a bit of a weak weak area, maybe. You know, with with Ward or Nathaniel Klein. and then in midfield, they've even got players who you think could be handy. You know, like this Decore who signs in the summer. He's looked okay at, at times, but then again. Got players next to him like maybe every now and again it might be Will Hughes, Jeff Slope, and then obviously Jordan Ayew a bit further forward. So it's it's all it's all a bit of a perfect storm for them. And then like in recent weeks, they, they just they just don't seem like scoring. I kind of wish all. I kind of think that had Conor Gallagher went there in in January, um, they probably wouldn't be in this position. I think that yeah. he, he was a big miss because he, yeah. he kind of made them tick. And he was a catalyst for them, weren't he? He linked the midfield to the to the forwards, uh, yeah. you know that key position. Yeah. Uh, they haven't got that at the moment, so that. But they, you know they were doing all right at the beginning of the season. So it's, what has caused that mass drop off? And, and even like last season, there was a little bit. There was a there was a bit of a point around Palace last season. Is have they progressed? Are they better off under Vieira than they were under Hodgson? And there was a point where it was a bit neck and neck. But eventually Vieira, I think Vieira ends up. Yeah, finishing with more points than they did the previous season, and that's Ooh. obviously you know for clubs at that level, you go off how you did the season before. And just playing a better brand of football with younger footballers yeah. who yeah. are being quite dynamic. And, and I think Vieira bought bought himself enough time for that, and and and, and unfortunately the way it's gone now, they're in the first they're in the first real big rocky spell. But it's the fact that it's it's continuing. Has it stopped at say six seven games of also, and then they picked up a win? And then maybe gone back to a draw or a loss. Then, then it sort of gives them a little another bank of let's say five, six the, games to sort of go without. The issue is though, they've only created six opportunities, uh, better than zero point two xg since New Year's Day. Like that is that is no way to live. Uh, you know, and, and the point about you know you, you're not if you're not creating clear cut chances, 
over that spell, you know, that is, and I think that that's what's, if it, if it does do for him, Luke, that's what's going to do for him, I think, here, yeah. uh, Vieira. And it may well be before the Arsenal game, it may well be after the Arsenal game, but one of the problems is, for instance, you go into Arsenal, and Arsenal are probably thinking for a minute one, these can't really hurt us, so therefore yeah. we can we can almost do what we want for a period of time. That's not saying be complacent, far from yeah. it, still do all your work, but feel like we can push high, we can do this, we can do this, because the record is the record. These don't create yeah. that many chances, they don't create that many good chances. Who did he bring in, though, if Vieira does go? I, do, I think it's a great question as to what they'll do if Vieira does go, because they're, they're looking for are they looking for a firefighting appointment or are they looking for a long term? I think it's got to be a firefighting appointment right now. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't if, normally if work though. Nice. If, if you look at previous appointments at, at the same stage, trying to save team from relegation, very very rarely does it work. Yeah. So I think Leeds got very fortunate last season, didn't they? That that there was ultimately three teams worse than Leeds who went yeah. down, and and even then even then it went to the final day with Leeds. So. I mean, I just want to say though, I've got I've I've got a, a big soft spot for Vieira because he's one of my favourite non-Liverpool players growing up. <laughs> so yeah. I'll always I'll always hold the candle for him. Absolutely. Um, I'm, gonna, I'm going to make you talk about Arsenal. I'm was, I was just about to say, how long can we keep talking about uh, this game without mentioning Arsenal? But I knew it had to come up eventually. Uh, Vieira's obvious links with Arsenal is quite interesting. Um, look, we, we nobody saw Bournemouth nearly coming out with something, you know, that was the most home banker of all home yeah. bankers yeah. you would expect. And at one point, it looked really, really uh, tenuous, to say the least, for uh, for Arsenal. Um, but they came through, um, and you got, I said it before, you've got to hand it to them. They've got some guts about them at the moment. But as I've always said throughout the season, it's this, you know, when it gets to that last 10, it's yeah. a different type of pressure. It's a, you know, it, 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 that's saw them playing with fun, uh, against Fulham and they looked free and enjoying their football yeah. that goes out the window with 10 games to go everything becomes oh my god we have to win this game and handing in that is going to be really and if they do more power to them I'm not saying they're not going to yeah. but it, I'm just it, saying if they win this they go eight clear now I know there'll be a game in hand in there and, and Arsenal have still got to go to the ads and all that sort of stuff but the psychological idea of eight clear uh, with 10 to go feels like yeah and especially with you know I know you're going to be saying that I'm mad saying this but I don't trust Liverpool, you know, or City to to roll over Liverpool. I think Liverpool, of all teams, mm. are not going to have this kind of inferiority complex overplaying City, and that could play into Arsenal's hands heavily. Um, so I'd worry about that game <laughs> right if I was a uh, if well, I was a City fan. But we've, Liverpool have got City, and then the week after, and the, the following weekend, they've got Arsenal at home. So yeah. City away, Chelsea away, Arsenal at home. Well, I'd, I'd mentioned on the overview last week that it was a. Um, we're sort of potentially the joker in the title race kind of thing, you know, playing play City and Arsenal in the space of a week. You know, we could, we'll have a massive set or could have a, a big say on where the title goes because, you know, we go to the if we somehow go to the Etihad and get a win, then it's literally handing it on a plate to Arsenal if Arsenal be, do do what everyone expects them to do this weekend against Palace. Those, yeah, those. Now, those idiots will beat City, beat Arsenal, and lose to Chelsea in the gap. Uh, because that, that's that Liverpool's season this season. Yeah, exactly, and, 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 and it would, nothing would surprise us with our, hist, our historical record against Arsenal and feel that we turn them over. Yeah, and then and then does that put them into a tailspin? Yeah, who knows? Yeah, it's going to be interesting. But you know, I've, I'm not going to go against Arsenal on this one. I think they'll uh, they'll get the points. Um, Anna Wilson on Sheffield United, who play Blackburn Rovers in the FA Cup, joined by Anna Wilson to talk about Sheffield United, um, who. 
I've got a real opportunity this season. There are two opportunities for Sheffield United. One is to play at Wembley. Um, and another one is to hopefully not play at Wembley. Uh, currently sitting second <laughs> in the championship table. Uh, the last thing Sheffield United wants from this point of the season is the playoffs. But we'll talk about the FA Cup first, and then we'll get into the, the, the bigger picture. Uh, Anna, it's been, a, it's been a nice distraction, I suspect, through what has been a, a pretty tumultuous uh, season um, where Sheffield United have looked often the second-best team in the championship. Uh, the mad Hollywood sort of shinings of the uh, the Wrexham home and away uh, doing what needed to be done uh, has now led to a to a possible uh, semi final place. So you are you excited about the weekend? But yeah, I mean that that was all quite stressful. So I'm I'm glad it has actually led to something. I think if we'd have ended up losing that replay, it would have all been for nothing. But um, yeah, it it will be a nice distraction because our league form hasn't been brilliant. And um, yeah, I think at any time you can potentially get to Wembley, then um, obviously it's a it's a bonus. And you know, on paper, it's a winnable game. I was about to say that's the, the for me the interesting sort of thing. I mean, Blackburn have been an odd side all the way through the campaign, and and I'm not you know they'll, they'll, they'll come into a little modicum of form recently, haven't. Uh, dwindled away over a period of time. There's, I mean, I noticed last time it was an early goal and, and, and I suspect they were hanging on towards the end. Is there anything Sheffield United can take from those games? The, when we played them a couple of weeks ago at, at Ewood, we were really poor. Um, and yeah, we, we, they just got an early goal and, and we just couldn't get back into it. We, um, we'd we gone forward, I think it was one of our corners or, a, or, or some sort of um, set piece up, up their end of the pitch and then they just broke and they were... They were much better than us, to be honest. I think it's it's a funny one, really, because we played very well in the first game, but it was really it was quite early on in the season, and I think we won. I think we won three, three or four nil. So the two games were pretty different, but yeah, they're a, they're a bit of a different proposition now. As as a way, they're in much better form than than they were at the start of the season, and we're in worse. So yeah, it, but it, it'll be nice. It's um, we've you know we've probably not got got as far as we would have hoped in the cup in the later stages of the last few seasons, but this is obviously a, 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 as good as opportunity as any. It's as good an opportunity as I think you know. A side that's in the championship is ever going to get. I think that this is the, it is one one to be grabbed uh, by the Sheffield United side. Of the over the course of the season, you know, I'm talking about this sort of the journey that the side's been on, which currently means you know 70 points on the on the table as it stands. Over the course of the campaign, is the side settled, or do you feel as though it's it's still it's still working itself out a little bit? It was certainly was settled, but I think since we've had that little dip in form, he, he has started to make a few changes. And we, I think we needed it yesterday. We were really, really poor on Saturday against Luton, and um, yeah, we really needed um, needed to win last night. So it, it, the changes we needed, and, and they did happen actually. Uh, the changes, the changes were interesting because I noticed that the, the last two selections were markedly different. Who impressed last night against Sunderland? To be fair, Doyle and McAtee played ever so well. Um, I mean, Doyle played really well against Spurs when he came in. in when he's been playing, he's been playing alongside Norwood and they are pretty similar players, but he played in, in Norwood's role against Spurs and was brilliant. And, and he did the same last night. I think maybe maybe they are too similar to play together. I do understand the reasons for them to play together. But yeah, you know, McAtee had a really slow start, but he's he started to look good in in, in the last few weeks, really. He's, 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 he runs with it more. I think he was playing more of a flat a flat central midfielder early on in the season, but he's, he's almost playing... We played with sort of two number 10s last night, which we don't normally. And, and he, he sort of, it, it really was the... The making of him really he played ever so well last night. When you, it's been interesting sort of seeing who he's who he's used where and when uh, in this competition. You said before about him, for instance, using Doyle uh, earlier in the campaign. It's, it's this funny thing that happens that people sort of underestimate that sides that aren't even in the Premier League, they'll make changes as well for the cup. Do you think it's a first eleven job against Blackburn, or do you think you might look at some of these players who've been part of this cup run and want to keep them sort of rewarded and on board? I think he'll probably play a similarish team to what we played last night. Um, 
but maybe not. I don't know. We obviously made eight changes against Spurs, and obviously, and, and we did win. But I mean, they were they were shocking. So it was no great surprise. It's it's difficult to know which way he's going to go. But you know, you would say that McAtee's been more of a fringe player than a, a first team player this season, so he could play. And um, Jebison played really well last night. He was the young lad up front. He came in for McBurney. I would definitely start him because. McBurney's gone off, off the boil a little bit. He, he played really well at the start of the season, but again, he's had a lot of injuries, so another rest I don't think will do him any harm at all. But um, yeah, I, th- I think he'll probably play a little bit of a mix, maybe make three or four changes, but not as many as he did for um, not as many as he did for Spurs, maybe. He seems very settled, uh, Heckenbottom at the moment, the manager. You know, he's, he's very readily linked away, uh, obviously from Barnsley originally, and uh, has come through the coaching ranks there. But if, if you get Sheffield United promoted this season, obviously first and foremost, he'll be, he'll be managing the Premier League. He, it's it's the sort of career you don't actually hear about that much these days. You know, he's he, he feels very much as though he is he's he's very Sheffield, he's very Sheffield United. But you know, do you, do you feel he'll have aspirations beyond this? It's difficult, really, because he was under he was the under twenty three coach for a good a good year or two under under Wilder before he took over, and he was seen as the cheap option, certainly by me. I when we found out we were getting rid of Wilder and putting him in, I, I was certainly not excited, and I was very happy to be proved wrong. But yeah, it's you're right. I mean, it's like when Wilder were in the Premier League with us and we were doing well. He he was very rarely linked with other jobs, and I think it's it's the English managers and uh, not as. Not as sexy are they as the as the European counterparts. Probably, you know, Potter might change that, but obviously he's not doing that well, is he? But yeah, I, I've never ever seen him linked. I, I can't imagine he'd be linked with many big clubs. I think it would be a pretty big risk for any any sort of Premier League team to take up on on uh, Heckingbottom, even if he gets us up. If he does get you up, I mean, and this is you know, I, I'm, I'm speaking to Natalie Bromley on this show before about Burnley. What are the expectations for next season? Because there was there was the first season under Wilder, which which couldn't have gone any better. And I think there's a couple of clubs yeah. in the country who were really undermined by COVID. And I think that Sheffield United were one of them because it really disrupted the momentum. The second yeah. season was just wasn't great. What no, if no. you do get up? What are the expectations? I, I would hope that we just don't don't go straight back down again. I mean, you know, we, we are having some severe money problems, and if we don't go up this season, then we're in real trouble. But I think if we went up and went back down again, we'd probably have the same. The same problems again, but I'd, I'd just like us to probably spend a little bit better. You know, I know McBurney's played well this season, but it's his, it's his first season out of, out of four that he's played well for us and, and stuff. So, you know, we didn't, you could say that we didn't really spend the money well last time. So I think I'd rather us see us invest in, in maybe more, slightly more proven players because we didn't, I think it's safe to say we didn't invest particularly well when we went up last time. Uh, all right, then give me a prediction for this one coming up against Blackburn. Uh, it's and also, do you think you're going to go up? I'll have both. I'll have both predictions, oh, please, Anna. Oh dear. Um, I think we might go to a replay against Blackburn. Uh, whether we'll win or, or lose the replay, you can't go to a replay. It'll go to extra time and penalties in oh, this in this now will. at this level at this stage. Might go to extra time penalties then. God, I'll I'll go optimistic and say we'll win, even though I'm not entirely sure that we will. Um, but um, <laughs> why not? I am. Well, I, I always like to be optimistic. And again, I feel much more confident that that we might go up after last night. You know, we could have been one point one point ahead of Middlesbrough and we're six now. So I think this week's gone considerably better than it could have done. So again, I'll go. Let's go with uh, let's go with the optimistic that we will go up. But I wouldn't be surprised if um, if we ended up in the playoffs. No, it does. All right. Well, I mean, you, you did start off with Wembley, Wembley, and no Wembley, uh, and you've in the end talked yourself into no Wembley and Wembley. Uh, but anyway, uh, thank you very much, Joanna. Let's get back over. Good to speak to Anna. We've got Jack Collins to round us off in a minute or two. But um, let me ask you, um, Luke, who do you want to win the FA Cup? Of the plausible winners, i.e., the Premier League clubs. I mean, don't get me wrong; it'd be interesting to see if Sheffield United or Blackburn could go all the way. But who would you like to win the FA Cup? I think City. 
You want City to win it? Oh, see, City have done me a lot of favours being an Everton fan over the past few years. So, <laughs> so you, you owe them one. <laughs> yeah, we owe them one. <laughs> we we went out early on, so All right. I'm really, I'm really, really matter to I like, me, to I like the honesty of it. I like the honesty of a big thank you to City. Who do you want to see win it? <sighs> Who's left? What? It, uh, well. <laughs> I know what I'm sure you're the same as me, Paul. Once once you get once your team gets knocked out, it's a bit of a you to yeah. erase it from all, all memory. But I, I, you know what? The last eight, Paul, and I can't believe I've got to do this on the preview show that we do. But anyway, the last eight <laughs> is Man City versus Burnley, Sheffield United versus Blackburn, Brighton versus Grimsby, and Manchester United versus Fulham. I'm hanging my hat on Brighton, and simply because they knocked us out. Because you know they've got an absolute potential gift there in playing Grimsby Town away. But at home, they're at home. But, to Grimsby. Although, although saying that. I know Anthony Glennon who plays for Grimsby Town, a, a former Liverpool Academy player. Um and I'd love to see I'd, I'd love to see him and Grimsby do well this weekend. But you know, I've got to think think with my smart hat and I I think Brighton should should win that. And and, and if they do win it, you know, as you've rightly pointed out, Neil, you know, someone is potentially gonna get the winners of Sheffield United against Blackburn. And that and that's where if Brighton can can win and then get the winners of Sheffield United Blackburn then they will not have a better chance to get to an FA Cup final. And, you know, it, they last got to the final 83, Smith must score and all that. Mm. You know, they will not get a better chance of getting to the FA Cup final if that plays out. I'd like Brighton to win, apart from the fact that there'll be loads of phone-ins about the fact that Brighton have won a trophy and Spurs haven't, you know. So maybe not. So I'm good. I used to go out of a girl. Fulham from... could win a trophy and, and Spurs haven't. Well, I used to go out of a girl from Cleethorpes, so Grimsby... All the uh, way. Grimsby all the way, <laughs> or if not Man City, because they she win anyway. some girl. She was, she was, uh, my wife's listening. I regret putting it out for free uh, at this sort of point. Uh, I'm, I'm intrigued by Fulham going to Old Trafford. I think there could be something in it. Uh, that's a topic which I discussed with Jack Collins. Joined by the wonderful Jack Collins to talk about Fulham's biggest game of the season. This is Fulham's biggest game of the season. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, I, th- I think we're one game from Wembley. You don't get these ones very, very often. So I'd agree with you. It- it's a strange one in some ways because we were having this discussion on Fulhamish and Sammy said he'd rather lose every game the rest of the season in the league if it meant that we won this one. And I'm a little bit more reticent about that. I, th- I don't think I think 39 points is fine enough to stay up. But I said I said I'd lose every game in the league in the rest of the season if we won the FA Cup, and that that, that would be my my caveat. But there is definitely a fervor around the fan base. I think about this one and the draw. You know, seeing Man City come out of the hat first, and then seeing you know and going, oh, we haven't got Man City. We, we're going to get Man City. We're going to get Man City. We haven't got Man City. And then the next one going, all oh, right. So we got Man United away instead. Uh, the, the kind of yeah. the high of not getting City and the low of it being brought back to earth by a trip to Old Trafford straight afterwards. Frustrating in some ways, but alas, we are where we are. You are where you are. The flip side of getting United now means that ultimately you're nailed on third favourites, probably, but close to Brighton uh, if they go through against Grimsby. It's you know, it's it's a hell of a position. You know, to talk about not just potentially one Wembley visit, but conceivably two. And it feels like for both Fulham and Brighton, this would you know a cup final at the very least would crown this season in a way that's arguably deserved, given the not just the standard of the football, but the nature of the approach as well. Yeah, I think this is fair, and I think this is is a good point in that. Fulham and Brighton are clubs who might squeeze into Europe, I think, you know, might get into those seventh, sixth spots at, at some point. This season, maybe another season, fine, whatever. But 
actually, you know, the, these are not clubs that are going to challenge the league title. I, I know that there's the Leicester story, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, but it's just not going to happen. So I think when you look at these kind of things and you look at being in the last day at the FA Cup, you look at where we are in the league table. These are moments you've got to go and go and absolutely enjoy, right? And and especially considering where Fulham thought we were going to be at the start of the season. You know, we sat here and I told you I'd bite your hand off for 17th on goal difference. And to be honest, I stand by that. I think that was the right, I think it was the right thing to say. And, and so there's this kind of weirdness of this season and it's tempered by the idea of, wow, we're really flying above where we thought we were going to be. And you're looking at these kind of European places, you're looking at the FA Cup semi-finals, you're going, that'd be so good. But actually, ultimately, everyone would have given everything just to have stayed in the division. And so there's this kind of temper between expectation and what's actually been achieved. And I think it's it's really interesting to kind of get to this point, but I agree with you. And I think it would be richly deserved to get a day out of Wembley, considering the season that Fulham and Brighton too have had, because there's no guarantee that it's going to be a similar story next year. Um, the big difference for, for the game, uh, from the game against Arsenal, I thought the manager was was very clear. We spoke afterwards where he was he was very critical. Um, felt that everything was soft on the day. I always I'm always intrigued by which um, which slightly slangish pejoratives foreign managers pick up uh, when they come in, and I liked his use of soft. They were soft goals, and it was a soft performance. Uh, felt very very. Uh, I, I, I'll just say you could tell he was Everton manager. I'm going to say there uh, when he said that, <laughs> and the way in which he articulated that one. Um, but one of the reasons for the softness was no Paulinho. Him coming back in, uh, the suspension he's got only counting in the Premier League, I think, is um, is is obviously good news for Fulham in this one. He's effectively defined that midfield over the course of the campaign, and Fulham will need him to have a big game at Old Trafford. Yeah, I mean, it's good to have him back after the suspension. One of the most frustrating things I've seen all season was knowing that Brentford and Arsenal were coming next and watching Joao It was almost like the game went into slow-mo as you saw the, the moment there, Mateus <laughs> Nunes, his old sporting teammate, was walking through the midfield. And I was like, Polini's going to take him out here and they're nowhere near our goal. And I know for a fact that he's going to get booked for it. And it was like... Oh no! Watching it and going, everyone in the entire ground heads in hands because they knew every and knew what it meant as as soon as it happened. But yeah, he's been a huge miss. He he's an incredible footballer. Um, he is, I think, one of the best defensive midfielders in Europe. I, I'll be perfectly honest with you. I, I think that we're at a stage now where he was brilliant for Sporting. Obviously, led them to the league title, showed up for them in Europe even when they weren't particularly good, and has now taken Fulham from you know, relegation candidates to European contenders or the brink of. And there's more to it than just Polina, but not all that much more in, in so many ways. He is just the kind of rock on which Marco Silva's church has been built this season. And having him back, I, I think the thing is that Fulham have other good players in the midfield. I like Sasha Lukic. I think he's come in and done well. I like Harrison Reed, but they're the same kind of player. And neither yeah. of them are the player the Polina is. And I think what we saw against Arsenal in particular, a bit against Brentford, but mostly against Arsenal, was the fact that everybody else, the players who have been exceptional this season, your Tim Reams, your Issa Diops, your Tosin Adrobios through the last couple of games, have just looked lesser than themselves because he's not there. There are moments where there's dithering because no one's sure if they need to step out of the back line to win challenges in the midfield. And just the way that he knits the entire thing together, the way that he covers ground, the way that he wins the ball back and his passing range, which is exceptional, just allows Fulham to do the things that we want to do on a regular basis. And I don't think it's any surprise that when he's been out, Fulham have 
won no games and conceded 10 goals. Um, absolutely. The, they're going to be missing uh, Casemiro. It's a domestic ban, that one. Uh, the, it is done differently. The, the top of the league, the, the yellow cards and the red card aspect of this. So it does, it does, it does function differently. They're going to be missing Casemiro. They feel... What's your, you know, assessment of, you know, this to me feels very, it feels very Mitrovic big moment this game. United feel like a team at the minute who just played a hell of a lot of football. You watch a lot of Europa League stuff as well. I'm sure you've seen them in that competition and they're playing in it tonight. That's on the on the horizon for them. They, I think, faded in a number of ways at Anfield uh, in the 7-0 that I actually think were under-discussed uh, out of a desire to pin it all on one footballer, even though he was nowhere near the back line or the scene of any of the crimes, nor even in goal. Uh, but he was getting it in the neck. I, I thought they wilted um, a little bit physically. Do you feel as though there's almost no better opportunity to go and get something from Old Trafford than this one? Yeah, I, I think, look, the Casemiro suspension is huge. Um, and and the the kind of way that the momentum or the pendulum has swung from Fulham being, oh, no, will Polina be there? And him obviously being back and Casemiro now being out is is absolutely, yeah, I don't think it could be overstated. Now, I don't know what United are going to do with this. I don't know if they're going to play Fred and McTominay as, uh, as a partnership. I don't know if they're going to bring Lissandra Martinez into midfield. I'd be very surprised if, if they do that. Everyone was talking about that at the start of the season. Didn't ever think Ten Hag was going to do that, but maybe in a pinch here, he'll need to just do something. Um, but just, you kind of look at it and go, right, they're, they're playing on Thursday night. I mean, I really could have done with Betis sorting me out yeah. was like the two clubs I support I really could have done with them just having a little bit more competitive edge uh going into this one in Seville tonight but we shall see how it pans out and, and you kind of look at that and you go right Fulham looked tired as well but we United have looked tired of late I think we saw that in the game at the weekend they looked good against Betis I imagine they'll look sharp against Betis again tonight but if that translates into them looking tired on Sunday, I think we'll take it all day long. And and just the couple of little injuries, the couple of little illnesses, the suspension for Casemiro, I think Anthony's now ill. Jane Sancho's been sort of in and out the last couple of games. I think Antonio Marshall isn't isn't available. It's just not necessarily that those players would have started, it's that they might have started tonight. And they might have come into the yeah. side to just give it a bit of freshness and a bit of rotation and allow them to just breathe on a couple of players before you know before this game and I don't think they're going to have that and hopefully that's something that plays into Fulham's hands and I think you're right it feels like an opportunity at Old Trafford a a small opportunity but an opportunity nonetheless give me a prediction I often don't do this anymore but I'm going to ask you on this one I I can't believe how big this game is honestly I think it's going to go to extra time that that's my prediction I, I have you know, a weird feeling that it's going to be uncomfortable and look Fulham in 2010 were denied a penalty shootout against David De Gea in the uh, final of the Europa League against uh, against Atletico Madrid by that late Diego Forlan goal. So that's two United players denying us <laughs> what we should have had in a uh, in a moment. I'm going to say Fulham win this on penalties. Tell you what, what a Sunday afternoon that'd be. Thank you very much to Jack. A pleasure as ever uh, to speak to him, but it was a pleasure as well uh, to speak to Natalie, uh, Natalie Bromley and Anna Wilson, uh, Paul Dehaney, Luke Davis and Joel Richards as well. It has been your Friday show this week. I hope you've enjoyed it ever so much. Uh, really good weekend of football in front for absolutely everybody. Tell your mates about all this sort of stuff being out for free this time out. We'll be back very, very soon with more Premier League fixtures.